make no mistake, this is challenging stuff. This is hard to do. And Paul leads us to expect that this is going to involve some serious work for us. Verse 3, make every effort, strive to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, says Paul. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And Jonathan, I mean, just trying to keep it real, we may make every effort to live at peace, but there may be some situations I think there may be some people in our lives that as much as we try to live at peace with them, that peace is probably not going to come. But from what I hear you say, what I hear the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians chapter 4, really, we just need to make sure we're doing our part. Is that right? Well, I think we do need to be, I mean, to pick up his language there, we need to be eager (laughs) to maintain this unity Um, The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, as he puts it there. And I think, you know, there's a big part of this that requires us to check our motivations and our desire in this. But the other fact is that we need to go back to basics, back to the foundation, and return to the gospel. And if there is something among Christians, uh, you know, between us and another believer in Christ where we're struggling with unity, I think part of the solution, the, the, the first part of the solution involves going back to the gospel and remembering what it is that brings us together. And it is that the Lord Jesus died for us to forgive our sin. And so whatever it is we might have against one another, we have to remember that Jesus has removed that guilt and he's shown he's shown grace to me and he's shown grace to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And remembering that, we, we ought to be able to work it out. Uh, such a good reminder that when we take a look at how much we have been forgiven, uh, then it, I think it makes it so much easier for us to then for, forgive those who have sinned against us. Well, we're going to look today a little bit more at this topic of what it means to be united in Christ. If you can, grab a Bible. Join us in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4 as we continue our message. Here is Jonathan. I don't know if you've been following the whole saga of Brexit in recent days. I've been keeping a little eye on it myself, wondering what's going to come of the whole thing. The negotiations between Britain and the European Union on Britain's exit from the Union have been very painful, to say the least. And for the British Prime Minister, the pressing question has been to know where to flex and where to draw the line on negotiations. Her her great challenge has been to discern what would be real deal breakers for her. What are the core non-negotiable issues which, if she compromised upon, would be viewed as a betrayal? of the British people. Now, I don't envy her the job of that. It's a terrible burden. But as I think of her, I do think that for the Christian believer, we do need to be clear, each of us, in our own mind and in our own heart, what are those core non-negotiable issues of the faith, those matters which, if someone differs on them, we, we have to say, well, actually, they don't share our faith. They have a different religion. For each of us, it's important for our own discipleship and growth in the faith to give thought to that. And it's important for each of us to develop a robust enough biblical understanding that we do have some sense of an answer. It's important to think through our faith clearly enough to do that. But sometimes we have to admit, of course, we do get these things wrong. Sometimes we're a little bit too quick to bypass the truth and to celebrate commonality. And sometimes, on the other hand, we're too quick to write off professing Christians because they don't quite belong to our particular tribe. Sometimes we're too keen to protect our favorite pet doctrine 
even though it's hardly a central gospel matter, even though it's hardly crystal clear in the Scriptures, even though genuine believers differ. Knowing where those lines may be, it's a tough question of discernment. But where there are true believers, where true unity in the faith does exist, Paul's heart and Paul's challenge is that we should guard and promote our unity. We should live it out in godliness. Well, we've looked at the foundation of Christian unity. Now we turn to think of its protection. And for that, we go back to verse 1 in the start of the passage. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As we consider the opening of the chapter, we do need just to glance back and remember what Paul has been saying in the previous section, how he closed off that wonderful prayer at the end of chapter 3. And as we glance back, we see that Paul landed on this heartfelt concern for God to be glorified. Verse 21 of chapter 3, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You see, Paul wants, above all things, for God to be glorified. He wants God to be glorified in his church, in his people. And so Paul begins this plea for Christian unity by reminding the people that he is someone whose life is really now all about one thing and one thing only. It's about Jesus Christ. Paul is officially a prisoner of the Romans, but that's not actually the main thing in his mind. He is, verse 1, a prisoner for Jesus. He's captive to Jesus and for Jesus, and it's for Jesus' sake that he is suffering. You see, Paul recognizes that his life is not his own anymore. It's a life given over to the glory of God, whatever the cost may be. It's hard, of course, for us to receive instruction from someone who has demonstrated no ability to do what they are asking you to do. I, I think we all know that. Perhaps we've experienced it in different contexts. In the 19th century in Britain, it was possible to rise to very high military rank through wealth and class and education and political connection without having actually passed through the ranks yourself. And that sometimes led to a bit of a cynical response from the lower ranks and from the general public. You may be familiar with the Victorian satirists, Gilbert and Sullivan, who produced these really quite funny operas poking fun at the leaders of their day. Anyway, one of their most famous pieces tells the story of a lawyer and a politician who managed to become an admiral in the Royal Navy with no experience actually on ships. Maybe you've heard the piece before. I rather like it. It goes like this. When I was a lad, I served a term as office boy at an attorney's firm. I cleaned the windows and I swept the floor and I polished up the handle of the big front door. I polished up that handle so carefully that now I am the ruler of the Queen's Navy. Of legal knowledge, I acquired such a grip that they took me into the partnership. And that junior partnership, I ween, was the only ship I ever had seen. But that kind of ship so suited me that now I am the ruler of the Queen's Navy. Now, landsmen all, whoever you may be, if you want to rise to the top of the tree, if your soul isn't fettered to an office stool, be careful to be guided by this golden rule. Stick close to your desks and never go to sea, and you all may be rulers of the Queen's Navy. It's quite wonderful satire. 
but it illustrates a serious point. It's very awkward for someone to be in a position of leadership to issue a call who has not served where those whom he would lead must serve. It's hard to receive instruction from someone who hasn't experienced what you're experiencing, who hasn't shown himself willing to do what you must do. But when the Apostle Paul speaks of a life given over to the glory of God, when he speaks of a life worthy of the call of the gospel, he knows what he's talking about. He writes to the Ephesians, and he speaks to us as one who is a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ, locked up in a Roman prison for his sake. And as such a person, with such a concern, he issues then a very authentic call that comes to us today with authority and with power. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That call comes with authenticity. And so we want to take it seriously. But what will it look like to live a life for the glory of God following Paul's example? A life worthy of the calling of the gospel. Well, here's what Paul says. Here's what he lays out for us. It will look like living a life that pursues unity with the people of God. It will look like, verse 2, being completely humble. If we realize that life is fundamentally about the Lord and about His glory, and it's not about us and not about our glory, if we realize that through the gospel He is called us to Himself in His mercy and His grace, and not because of anything we've done or deserved. If we recognize that the Father gave His Son for our redemption and because of our sin, if we know and believe those things, if they're written on our hearts, well, then we won't be all about ourselves. We won't be focused on our reputation, our interests. We'll actually be realistic about how feeble and sinful we are and just how much we owe our Savior. You see, the gospel will teach us humility. And being humble, well, we'll be about the Lord's business and not our own. We'll be gentle, says Paul. Gentle because we're not pushing our own agenda. We're not out with kind of sharp elbows trying to get ahead of everyone else, trying to get prominence even in Christian service and get noticed and do the things we feel we should be able to do. After all, we generally only move to aggression when we're not getting what we want or when we feel that our reputation has been wounded. But those who are prisoners for the Lord, well, so, such people don't have such concerns. And if we're all about the glory of God, well, we can learn to be patient as well, patient as we wait for the Lord's timing. You see, we're interested in His will and His work and His agenda. Again, if we have our own agenda and our own plans and our own priorities, our own timetable, our own dreams, our own goals, well, we, we find ourselves in a rush to see all those things take place. But when we believe that the Lord is in charge, that He is doing His work, when our concern is for Him and not for ourselves, well, we find ourselves increasingly willing to wait, willing to wait for Him to work things out in His way. And we'll learn to be patient with one another as God is working out His plan. And that will look like, end of verse 2, bearing with one another in love, walking alongside each other in love through all our sin and folly and weakness, being willing to continue to walk alongside one another and not throw in the towel, not give up, not get frustrated when we get things wrong. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I actually find all of this very, very difficult. I think it's an immense challenge, and I expect you find it to be so as well. I find it hard, I think, because I have high expectations of other Christians, and I find it difficult when other believers don't meet those expectations. I mean, I'm not at all surprised when I encounter ungodly behavior, bad behavior in the world around, sinful, thoughtless, hurtful behavior. But within the church, well, I expect kindness and honesty and graciousness and integrity. But that's not always what we see, is it? it not all the time. It's not always what we encounter. And when I encounter disappointing behavior in other believers, I find it hard then myself to be humble and gentle and patient and to bear with others in love. And I'm pretty sure you find that hard too. But the truth, of course, is that you and I are as much a part of the problem as we are a part of the solution. We're good at spotting sin in others, identifying faults in others, but we're not always so good at seeing it in ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, we're feeble and fallen and sinful, each one of us. And just as we need to be patient with others, others need to be patient with us. Just as I need to bear with you in love, you need to bear with me in love. Relationships within the family of God are hard because we're a bunch of fallen, redeemed sinners, not yet glorified. We're still very much works in progress. We're brought together in community through the sheer grace and kindness of God. And we need that grace of God. We need the help of God by His Spirit if we're going to live together well. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called United in Christ. And we're going to pause right here, but we'll get back to this message from Jonathan in just a moment. Hey, if you ever miss a program, you can always come and listen at our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen if you have the Encounter the Truth app. That's also free, and you'll find that at your favorite app store. Just simply look for Encounter the Truth. And that's a great way to stay connected with Jonathan's teaching. Hey, another thing that we'd love to connect you with is our weekly devotional. We produce a devotional that is offered through the website, you can go check it out at any time. It's called Moment of Truth. Just visit our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, and click on the link that says Moment of Truth. Well, if you joined us a little bit late, we are in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4, looking at the first six verses today. So if you've not done so already, hope you'll grab a Bible and join us there as we get back to our message, United in Christ. Here is Jonathan. We know Paul's own story a little bit, of course. We'll know that he was not naive about any of these things. We know that he was thoroughly aware that relationships within the church can be hard. He knows the depths of sin that can be found even among Christian believers. Just think of the mess that he had to deal with in Corinth. Horrendous sexual immorality. Worse even than he found among the pagans, said Paul. And yet, as we read 1 Corinthians and then into 2 Corinthians... Paul models humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Or think of the personal betrayals that Paul faced. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes, presumably believing friends, Christian leaders even, of whom he might have expected more. And yet, despite his experiences, perhaps because of his experiences, 
Paul can call on the Ephesians to be patient, humble, and gentle, to bear with one another in love. You see, Paul's call to us here does not flow out of naivety or willful delusion. It flows from hard realism about the potential of believers to let us down for each one of us to fail one another. Speaking personally, when I'm finding it a little bit hard to be patient with another believer, when I'm finding it challenging to bear with someone in a frustrating situation, I find it is quite often helpful to call to mind an occasion when another believer has had to bear with me. An occasion where I've been unwise or ungodly, and others have seen that and yet been kind and patient and gracious. And often those experiences, and they can be in our youth or they can be in our old age because we continue to get things wrong until God takes us home. Often those experiences of receiving grace teach us more about this dynamic than anything else. Experiencing the patience of another believer, seeing their humility and their kindness, knowing what it's like for another person to have to bear with you when you just don't deserve it. That teaches and challenges and admonishes us, doesn't it, to grow in this way. Well, make no mistake, this is challenging stuff. This is hard to do. And Paul leads us to expect that this is going to involve some serious work for us. Verse 3, make every effort strive to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, says Paul. You know, it's easy to imagine that good relationships just happen by accident. You see others engaged in harmonious and peaceful relationships, and you think, well, that dynamic must just be easy for them. That's just happened because everyone in the relationship is reasonable and easy to get on with. It's easy to imagine that, isn't it? And it would be nice if it were so, but it's just not the case. When we reflect upon it, we know that good relationships come through hard work, through overlooking offenses again and again and again, through working hard at communicating graciously and well, through investing again and again in the relationship, even after hurt and even after disappointment. And Paul says, make that investment. Work at it. Don't write people off because they're sinful or because it's hard. Don't lose your cool. Don't give up. But notice the dynamic of the work here. Remember what we've seen. The call is not to create unity through sheer hard work. It's not to manufacture something that is not there. It is to guard and protect a unity that is already there. Verse 3, keep the unity of the Spirit. When we work through Bible books consecutively as we do, we tend to come across topics that we might not naturally choose to think of or, or discuss together. That's the beauty of it. Working through books consecutively allows God to set the agenda through His Word rather than just allowing me every week to choose my favorite subject. That could go badly wrong. And I have to say, I'm not sure I would have just woken up one day and decided to tackle the topic of Christian unity. I'd probably have a long list of other topics that I would tackle first. But it is interesting, isn't it, how very important this topic evidently is to the Apostle Paul and how important he clearly believes it is for us as well. He begins there in verse 1 with this call to live lives worthy of the gospel calling we've received, worthy of all that we've been given in Christ, worthy of all the riches He's laid out for us in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. And we could imagine all kinds of things that Paul might talk about when he lays out for us what it'll look like to live this gospel-worthy life. 
Maybe he'll talk about avoiding certain types of gross immorality or giving ourselves to certain types of Christian service or getting clear on certain doctrines. But what does he do? He focuses on living in unity. If we're to live lives worthy of the gospel, we need to live in unity with one another. Loving, gracious, humble, patient, unity. And here's what struck me personally as I've reflected on the passage. I reckon this really is one of the very hardest things for us to do in our Christian life. I think it is. I reckon this is one of the toughest dynamics we face. My particular role gives me a unique perspective on church life. And I just know, I'm, I'm just aware of how many strains there are on Christian unity within a big church family like this one. We find it tough always to get along. I think this is a pretty cohesive and peaceful church family compared to many. But make no mistake, we find it hard to do what Paul calls us to do in verses 2 and 3. But when you think about what Paul has been telling us about the nature of the gospel in this letter, when you think about the fact that Jesus' great achievement has been to break down barriers, barriers between us and God, and then barriers between us and one another, remember what we saw in chapter 2 and chapter 3, when you think about that achievement and the nature of the gospel, then for us to go off and deny the achievement of the cross by tolerating and by multiplying divisions among ourselves. It's a big issue. It's a core issue. It's fundamental. And so if we're going to live lives worthy of this glorious gospel, then we need to take seriously this call to Christian unity. And so as we close, let me just ask you, as I ask myself too, what is the relationship within the body of Christ that you need to address in light of these verses here? Where are you living in disunity with a brother or a sister? Where is it that by actually living out verses 2 and 3, you could possibly, by the help of God's Spirit, start to live in unity? Sometimes it's, it's beyond you and there just isn't a willingness, of course. But where is there a relationship that with some genuine effort, things could be transformed. Where is that relationship that actually, you haven't quite said this, but you've basically given up on it. You've written that person off, and now you're just ignoring the situation. Where is the relationship that you need to pray over and invest in this week? As we reflect on these big truths and these great challenges, I, I expect we can all see that the task before us is a substantial one. It can feel quite overwhelming. But as we close, let me remind you, as I remind myself of what Paul has actually just told us, what he just said as he led into this instruction, chapter 3 and verse 20. The God who calls us to do these things is the God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. Maybe there's a situation you can't imagine it being transformed. Well, God specializes in doing things that we can't even imagine. And he'll do it for his glory, glory in the church, and glory in Christ Jesus. Jonathan Griffiths wrapping up our message, United in Christ, part of our series, The Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And if you want to go back and listen again, you can always do that at our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. 
You know, as you give a financial gift of any amount and support Encounter of the Truth this month, we want to send you a book called Time Well Spent. It's all about developing our daily devotions. And Jonathan, why do you think it's so important for us to daily spend time in God's Word with Him? Well, if we're wanting to be serious about the Christian life and grow in relationship with Jesus, there's nothing more valuable we can do than develop the rhythm in life of listening to Him in His Word and responding in prayer day by day by day. It's a simple thing, but it's not always easy to get into that rhythm and that habit. And this little book is just an encouragement to do that, help to overcome some obstacles in doing that. And we just think it'll be such an encouragement and such a help if you're wanting to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, we would love to send you a copy of this book, Time Well Spent, a practical guide to developing your daily devotions as you give a financial gift of any amount. You can find out more or give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or go to EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.